Welcome to the Star Weaver Podcast. Here we hope to bring you insights into technology, business, and your career. Thanks very much for tuning in, everyone. Today is another Meet the Gurus. Um, as many of you who have participated before know, this is dedicated to technology, business, entrepreneurship, product development, design, and entertainment. All these fields, as we all know, have been converging in pretty powerful ways in the past several years. We distribute this through YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, Apple, uh, Podcast, Google, etc. And today I have the pleasure of, of, of introducing Ross Maynard. Um, and Ross is a expert in a variety of fields, including business improvement. So thank you for joining us, Ross. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you very much, Paul. It's my pleasure to be with you. Yeah, so I think the way we get kicked off usually is just to learn a little about you, how you got into the world you're in, uh, the business improvement world, what kind of things drove you in that direction, how you got into the business, your business career. So just give us a little background. Okay, well, I am a management accountant by qualification, so I'm a fellow of the Chartered Institute of Management Accountants here in the UK, and back in the 90s, I joined one of the large consultancy firms, it was called Touche Ross then, it's now called Deloitte, Right. Um, so I worked with them for a wee while, and then um, I became self-employed, and I've run my own business for the last 21 years, I think it is now. Yeah. And so what, what, what brought you into, from accountancy into thinking about the improvement side of business, how to do things better? Because numbers seem to always speak clearly to people who understand numbers, but business improvement kind of can speak clearly to almost everyone. Yeah, well, I think that, that was the link for me, really. Um, I've never been a great technical accountant. Um, I get rather bored of doing the month end every month, for example, or doing payroll and things. Right. So I was, was looking forward to expand that kind of awareness of numbers and reach a, you know, reach a wider audience of business. So um, I, at one time I was uh, um, a manager in, in a company and I was obviously communicating with engineers, trying to get them to understand the numbers. Um, and you know my interest in, in business improvements went from there. The engineers were all involved in the lean philosophy, um, so I did some lean training, and that seemed to fit well in with you know presenting the numbers uh, according to the lean philosophy. So you know it just went from there, and I've always been more interested in kind of communicating with a, a broad base of professionals rather than just dealing with accountants and dealing with financial figures. Yeah, and, and often, I mean, from my experience, is everyone seems to think that it's like, uh, you know, um, it's all about the tools and the technologies you use to do business improvement. So you've got a new tool for project management. You've got a new ERP system for, you know, solving the problems of a business. But is that really the right way to solve business problems, just adding more tools? I mean, what, what is your experience in this area? No, I mean, I think, that's, I think that's very sad and I think that's actually a barrier to more companies doing work on business improvement that they always think there's a toolkit that has to be bought or there's some kind of consultancy package that they have to buy into. Um, and it's not like that at all. Improvement is a, is a people process. Getting the people in your organization involved in understanding their processes better, understanding you know, the problems that arise in their processes and then with some fairly basic training, working to improve those business processes. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, uh, we have seem, seemingly have you frozen, so we still have the audio, yeah. so that's fine. I'm going to figure go. out what's going on. 
Um, no worries about that. But um, in the inter interim, just talk about you have uh, you've you've talked to me a little bit about sort of the laws of um, business improvement. You've kind of established four that might be the right um, the might approach. Just tell me tell me a little about um, the the so called laws of business improvement. Yeah, I don't want to pretend that these are kind of laws of physics or, you know, Newtonian laws or anything. It's really a way, a kind of a, a gateway for perhaps small and medium sized enterprises to help them realize that they can make a start on business improvement. They can make a start on process improvement, you know, with their own teams within themselves. They don't have to buy tools. They don't have to buy a consultancy. So I've kind of come up with the four laws of improvement which was inspired by Isaac Asimov and his, in his Four Laws of Robotics, if you um, want to understand my reading, my reading interests. Um, so the Four yeah. Laws of Improvement are really a kind of gateway, as I said, for small and medium-sized enterprises to understand how they can get started with improvement. And the first law for me is that many small improvements in an organization add up to a large improvement at the process level. So if you get your people working on improvements to their, you know, their particular part of the process, they can work together and those many small changes will add up to a good, a big change in the efficiency of the process, the profitability of the process, and, and the way it gives customer service to, to, you know, to customers. Mm -hmm. So that's the first law. And the second law is related to that, that the people in the process are those ones who are best placed to improve the process. Your people are the ones who understand your business processes better than anyone else, better than you could ever get from you know, external consultants, for example. So if you give them some time, if you give them some basic training and engage them, they will soon get fired up about improving their processes. Everyone wants to do a good job. Um, and so that process improvement, business improvement becomes very cost effective. And it's a great way of engaging your employees in um, helping the organization develop and get better. And then the third law is about communication, really. Um, it says that the effect of blame is to push mistakes underground, meaning that if we have a blame culture, if we're always looking for somebody to blame for mistakes or for errors in the process, then that will just result in people trying to hide their mistakes and hide their errors. Right. Uh, talking about our mistakes, talking about our um, the problems in the process openly without blame, then you know we surface those problems and we can act together to resolve them. So you know that's a good way of improving a process, just to stop criticizing people and say, right, we know there are problems. What are the problems? Let's talk about them and, and get them resolved. Right. And, and then finally, my fourth law um, is that it's the customer the customer who defines the purpose of the process. So many organizations are internally focused, you know, we're looking at the numbers or we're looking at some sort of efficiency metric, but actually it's serving our customers quickly and meeting their needs that is, is what matters. So we need to do more work to, you know, understand who our customers are and what they actually want from our processes. Okay, fascinating. Sorry about the video here. We're trying to figure it out. No worries. Um, We'll go on, the show must go on, and sometimes technology doesn't cooperate. So, so let's talk about the, the culture. What is it, what is it um, in a culture that you, when you come into an organization, you've been a consultant for many years, what's, what's the, um, the sort of key things that you see? Because culture is kind of an ill-defined, I mean, it's, 
in anthropology, I suppose it's well defined. But in the you know in the in the in the in the in the, in the sense of business culture, when you're thinking about culture improvement, what are you really focused on? Um, what I'm focused on is the openness of the organisation, if you like that regardless of the status of the of a person regardless of where they are in the hierarchy they can come together to discuss issues in the business so they can um you know they can ha work together to understand the process to map a process to work out where the error points are and then to work together to improve that process so engagement and culture is about openness and communication. I mentioned there about the blame and you know many organizations looking for somebody to point the finger at when there's a problem, when there's a stake. If we can get away with that then communication opens up and people get engaged in, in, in working for improvement. You know nobody, everybody wants to come to work to do a good job, nobody comes to work to do a bad job. So um, you know if we can let that free, if we can you know, start communicating as equals rather than based on hierarchy, then that will open up the culture. Yep. And, and uh, go ahead, sorry. sorry, go ahead, I'm, I'll continue. Um, well, I was just going to say that, you know, there are a number of steps that we can, that we can take in an organization to help that to happen. Um, we make it easy for people to be able to identify the problems that they've made. So we, we make sure that they're not going to get criticized for raising up a problem or identifying a mistake. Um, and we make it easy for managers and supervisors to work with them to understand what the cause of the problem is, because actually problems are usually not created by people, they're created by a poor process. There is something in the process that has allowed the mistake to arise. Right. So if we can identify what that is and you know work that out, engineer that out, then hopefully that type of problem shouldn't arise in the future and we've made a better process. So it's about being clear, it's about communicating, it's about people not being afraid to come forward with, you know, problems and issues and mistakes because they know that the team will work together to resolve them so they don't arise again. It's interesting, quite quite fascinating. So what when you talk about when you walk into um let's say a large organization, you want to figure out how to uh what are the simple tools you use um, what are what are some of the the the, 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 the sort of uh, strategic tools that you might take to um, to um, to address this? Yeah, well, um, there's a, I mean, as I'm sure people who are listening to this know, um, obviously they're not watching this because I'm just a blank screen like the Scarlet Pimpernel. Right, exactly. Um, this is a quite quite bizarre circumstance, but sometimes, as I said, you know, we're working feverishly to try to figure this out. So, not um, right now. Happy about that. Degree. Uh, do you want me to switch my camera off and switch it back on again? Uh, maybe like try that? that. See if that did the trick. But um, yep, sorry. And I've come back on again. We did this test many times, and it seemed like it was working yep. fine. And now myself, um, I'll take this. Um, yes. Okay. So there are many tools out there, as I'm sure people know who watched in, who you know have even looked on the internet. Um, possibly my favorite is process mapping. Often the people who work in a process, they work on their particular part of the process and they don't necessarily understand how it starts, where it starts, what the end point is, what the output is meant to be at the end point. So if you work with the team to do, you know, a, a map of the process, process mapping, value stream mapping, whatever you want to call it, you know, and we don't need great 
technical manuals on how to process map. We can do it with little post-it pads and all sorts of things like that. The teams start to understand how the process works from beginning to end. And perhaps most importantly, they see where the niggles are. They see where the duplication is. They see where the delays are in a process where things are waiting for sign off or waiting for handoff between different individuals or different teams. So a process map can reveal a great deal about a process and where the errors arise, where the delays and the problems arise. So that's a really good tool that I, I like a lot. Um, there are many other tools. There's the tool called the Ishikawa diagram or the fishbone diagram where you take a problem and you analyze it against a number of criteria. Um, processes and training and skills and you know company policies and so on. Oh, I'm back on screen. Um, <laughs> hey, hello. Yeah. Hello, um, we're, we're back here. So, <laughs> still working. You've only 15 minutes with me. Yeah. Um, so yes, there's a there's a number of simple tools, um, but generally in in the course that I teach on process improvement, I stick to kind of four basic tools, which would be the process mapping which would be the problem statement, which is a great way of defining the statement in one or two sentences so that everyone can buy into it, would be the Ishikawa or fishbone diagram, which is a great way of analyzing a problem against different criteria, and would also be stakeholder analysis. So who are the people who have an interest in the process and what does a problem look like from their point of view? Because you'll often find that there's kind of different agendas going on and you need to understand what those agendas are and try and you know align them with each other. So talk about how you establish the criteria. You know, you talked about Ishikawa Fishbone, um, yeah. and I'm going to use your video just because we're going to keep it there, not have any other issues here. So talk about <laughs> sure. um, talk about how you figure out what the criteria is. You know, sometimes I mean, often it's like the doctor. You know, you got to describe to the, the doctor ask you to describe the problem, but you don't even often know what the problem is. This hurts. That's Absolutely. wrong. Uh, but you know, you you may be looking at the wrong thing. Your toe may hurt, but it may be related to your hip. Who knows? But oh, how do you how do you as the expert sort of begin to hone in on that criteria? Yes. Well, I would prefer not to be called an expert when I'm working with a team because I don't want there to be a hierarchy. Great. It's the team that understand their process. I'm a facilitator, if you like. I facilitate improvement teams to come up with their own solutions. So it's a question of exploring it from all sorts of different angles. It's great to spend more time looking at a problem than perhaps trying to come up with solutions. If you jump to a solution too quickly, then as you just said, you'll try you'll address one of the symptoms, but you won't necessarily understand what the root cause is. Mm -hmm. So it's about getting everybody involved that you possibly can, speaking to everybody that works in the process, speaking to the customers, speaking to the customers who get the you know the output of the process, speaking to management, and getting all of their views on what's wrong with the process, what the issues are, and then mapping those into the process map. So you begin to start to see where the problem points are, if you like, where the risk points are in the process, and then exploring those in more detail with the people that work with them, because they will they will see problems on a day-to-day -day basis, um, so that you really understand you know, what arises when there's a problem, what are the conditions that cause that problem, you know, what goes wrong, where to make these problems arise. So it's a very iterative process, and it's about facilitating the team to, you know, come up with, with, with the issues and with the problems 
me as a as an outsider can't go in and say oh this is your problem sure you need to really get the team to you know surface the process and surface step by step through the process what the issues are and can i assume that we when you think of the team the facilitator um as you in that role are will be need need to get their buy-in possibly to look outside the team to other stakeholders customers suppliers um you know uh let's say investors or other people who are surrounding the organization and the and the and that team yes absolutely um as as in most organizations you know an individual process doesn't exist in isolation you know you'll have the finance team who are wanting to get data from the process you'll have the marketing team that will want to know you know kind of order updates and things you'll have the engineering team wanting to put their fingers in regarding maintenance or whatever um so you do need to speak to these other kind of in, impacting teams if you like mm-hmm. and is um to see how they understand the problem sorry go ahead so is, no is so so is, is there a different angle you take on that because obviously it's almost like the therapist do you do do you do when you <laughs> when you you know sort of in some way you, you may take one attack that's maybe very uh, um for lack of a better word analytical or uh, based yeah. on facts Whereas another is based on uh, the softer things, the you know the, so, the the impressions. So is there a way you you really map that as well to say, look, these are what people felt, these are what people thought, and this is what the math said, or this is what the numbers say. Do you break it down in that way as well? Yes, absolutely. In fact, that's a very good analysis. Um, you need, as a facilitator for an improvement project, you need to wear a number number of different hats. So you would go to the finance team and try and get their data on how the process is working and you know what happens at different points you would definitely want to go to customers and speak to customers and see how they perceive the process see how they perceive let's say delivery of the service or the product see how they perceive customer service for example you would want to go to other internal teams as well so yes there is a data aspect and you want to present the data but you also want to present the kind of the anecdotal evidence as you said, the you know the soft mm-hmm. cultural evidence of of what's happening in the process and you know why these things might be happening. A, a common cause of problems in a process is is delays, is you know managers having to sign off something, or more frequently managers having to sign off the same thing at three different points down the process. Mm-hmm. You know, too many checks or too many sign offs or waiting too long for a particular person to sign off. You know who's got who's over workloaded anyway um you know so a lot of it is about putting checks in the appropriate places you know making sure there are not too many handovers between teams because that's another key source of where errors arise rekeying of data between systems is always a problem area because there's always scope for error in rekeying you know so it's to identify where these risk points are and then explore with everyone that's involved what their issues are and trying to present quantitative evidence and qualitative evidence and you know even kind of softer evidence than that as well yeah it sounds like um, in some way there's an element of diplomacy so that when you particularly particularly i would imagine when you get someone who is the the data scientist or the financial expert who says it's all about the math it's all about the data show yeah. me the facts 
and then you have to convince them that, well, that may well be very, very important, and maybe, let's say, in one case, 90% of the issue, in another case, 50% of the issue, that there's these other elements that will drive value. You know, I guess it comes down to sort of this idea of the value chain, right? So you have to figure yeah. out, okay, maybe in certain cases, the, the math is very important, the data is very important, but at the same time, maybe your customers or your suppliers are making decisions based on, you know, the way in which you treat them in a, in a, in a, you know, in this behavioral or soft skills. So it's kind of, it seems that you have to be able to bridge that and, ex and yeah. maybe, I don't know, is, do you have a role of salesmanship as well? I mean, is there, you have to sell that idea once you've all come to the analysis of what the improvement looks like? Yes, you do. And um, I think you need to wear several different personalities when you're facilitating a project like this. Mm -hmm. As you say, when you're dealing with the, with the numbers people, you maybe have to have a more analytical approach in your discussions with them. Mm -hmm. But if you're dealing with the, you know, the marketing folks, you need to put your long haired wig on and, right. you know, if you stick on tattoos and you pretend you're with it, right. with the kid. Right. Um, so, yeah, there's different personalities that you have to kind of project in order to gather the information, but you also have to try and bring them into the wider conversation, if you like. Mm -hmm. um, I remember quite a long while ago, um, I was working in a, in, a, in a health service organization and I had to deal with one of the directors of public health and she was extremely kind of analytical and down the line and this was black and everything else you know, was white and all of that sort of thing. And over a period of an interview of about an hour, I had to kind of coax around to seeing that there were actually different different points of view on this particular problem and mm -hmm. different people might have, you know, a different point of view to her. And, and actually, you know, that was quite a challenge, but actually it worked pretty well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by the end of the interview, we got on pretty well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she was more bought into, into the wide project. So there is an awful lot of diplomacy involved. There is a certain amount of salesmanship, but it's the kind of servant leader salesmanship rather than sure. you know trying to bludgeon people into agreeing with you. So it sounds like I mean maybe I'm wrong, but in part of this is you know sort of as I always like to say sort of thinking with the end in mind, you have to really begin to assess those personalities and those people and the and the points of view those the, the what you know sometimes people call the actors, right? You have to figure out who the actors are. So that when you are going through this process, you're beginning to realize that Paul needs more. He's a data guy, but he needs to understand the softer perspective. And and you know Ross, he's he's the he's the as you said the marketing guy, and he's the one who's out there with the big vision and the big ideas. But you got to reel him in to understand that to improve this to make your marketing better, you need the data, right? So and some people don't get that, but so it seems like very early in the process. Do you, do you do you agree with that? Is that is that where you begin to set your markers down as to how to how you're going to ultimately facilitate this or so-called sell this at the end of the day? Yes, I do agree. And I also think that the other people in the team also need to realize that often people, you know, they have their own mindset, they have their own personality, and they don't really understand that, you know, different people have different personalities. Accountants have a different view on life to the marketing people, to the engineering people. Um, another organization where I, where I was a finance manager was an engineering organization. And, you know, there was quite a lot of friction between the engineers and the accountants. The engineers thought we accountants were trying to hold them back and not let them do fancy projects or buy fancy equipment. And, you know, we thought they were just, you know, flash Harrys that wanted the latest crane or whatever. Sure. Um, so 
Um, in some of my training, I use a kind of simple personality test to show that there are different personality types. Great. You know, there's the numbers person, and there's the extrovert who's the kind of typical salesperson. There's the kind of introvert um, who's not wanting to give much away, you know, and these people all have different ways of looking at issues. And, you know, we as a team, me as a facilitator, but the whole team need to understand that different people have different buttons, if you like, sure. that you need massage to, to kind of get them on board. When you do your courses, do you provide versions of templates where people can say, look, this is a template where you begin to think about this problem in whether it's this, this fishbone analysis or whether it's in mapping yeah. or the problem statements, the stakeholder analysis, do you provide kind of like sort of a version of even printable templates where someone who's just getting into this says, I need to understand this, and then I can kind of fill in the dots, just sort of paint by numbers to begin with yeah. as, as you get expert? Yeah, you would do, excuse me, you would do worked examples, you know, for example, process mapping, as we mentioned, the Ishikawa diagram. They're, very, they're easy tools to use, but you, you need a bit of training. So we would sure. go through that in the training. There would, you know, would be a template if I was facilitating a group. Then, you know, we would do it as a group exercise on the big, you know, reel of brown paper on the wall and sure. and work through it. And, you know, over a number of days, probably iteratively revisit the process. Um, the tools are not difficult, but yes, you do need to, if you're not used to them, get your mind around them a wee bit. So when you when you get into a process, I mean, you know, people can tell you the problem is this, the problem is that. Obviously, it's like the patient we talked about earlier. But yeah. do you then say, you know, look, the, you know, you're the in this case the physician, as I mentioned. Um, do you do you say, look, the person? I I think looking at the situation because you've been experienced at this for many years. I think we need we can expect a X percent improvement overall, and then and then break that into metrics. And or do you sit down with your client, the company, the internal source, and say, look, we're here, we want X to happen at the end. So do you again? Do you get the beginning? You say, look, we're 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 shooting for this kind of improvement, and then work the way through how we get there. Or do you and do you set and if so, do you set that benchmark at a let's call it a norm where it's re achievable or it's, you know, maybe super achievable. Do you do, you do set, set those kind of things at the beginning or is that I not possible? I, well, I, I think every process is difficult, so it's rather difficult. And also sure. I wouldn't want to do something like that at the beginning mm -hmm. when you don't really know the process, partly because it sounds rather arrogant to come in and say that. And so you've been doing it wrong for all these years Got and it. you can improve by 25%. Right. But also, you do need to get the source data in, in a sense. You do need to do the kind of scoping exercise with the team to map the process, see what the metrics are for the process. You know, how long does it take a piece of work to flow through this process? Mm -hmm. Where does it get held up? How many, you know, how many items have to be reworked? And then once you get that data, you can say, look, there's 25% of delay time in this process. If we reduce that to 10%, that means you'll be able to work you know, X number of items um, more in a given time period, yep. and that will increase your productivity by, you know, 10% or whatever. So, so you need the core data before that, and I also feel it's rather arrogant to come in and say, whoa, you can do 10% better right. just by me looking at you. So you're, you're taking a very analytical approach, and you're saying at some point along the road, you will begin to evolve or develop those kind of things that you can say, yes. here's what we've learned, Here's what we need to improve, and then let's talk about how we get there. 
Yes, correct. And it's also much more powerful if the team come up with that kind of thing rather than me as the outsider. Right. If you spent time working with the team, looking at the process, seeing how long it takes, seeing how many errors, mistakes and reworks arise, and the team see that and they say, oh, my goodness, you know, look at this, look at this point in the process here and why does this always go wrong? Right. And they start to get the picture that, you know, if we can solve this, we can take out, you know, a day's worth of rework a week or something there you know there's not going to be a problem embedding that in the organization anymore because the whole team's bought into it right there's not going to be a problem selling that to management because the team are going to be you know jumping up and down saying you know give us the resources to improve this part of the process and we'll give you you know a 15 percent improvement in productivity so yeah. if the team come up with the metrics and the targets you've got your buy-in straight away so you're really facilitating things kind of, it's often, you know, the things that people don't see that are right in front of them. Um, and, yeah. they not, and they may not be right in front of them in the case of your process improvements, but then as you move them along, you begin to show it to them. And then they, then the, then the light bulb goes off of the, their head and you, yeah. and sort of you've, you're guiding them. So you're really not selling as much as, as you said, said right up when I called you the guru, you really are facilitating the, the knowledge. Yeah. The, the awareness. Yeah. Precisely. I would much rather be a facilitator for the team than, you know, pretend that I know the answers. Because as I say, every process is different. Every organization is different. Sure. And you're going to come unstuck if you and also people are not going to like you if yeah. if you think, you know, they if they think you're there to give them a impose something upon them. That's yeah. the way that, you know, resistance for change, you know, many change pro, um, projects fail because you know, something's trying to be imposed on the team rather than the team coming up with the solution themselves. No, it's interesting because, you know, it's obviously when grade schools, people look up to an instructor or a teacher. And as you yeah. get into professional world, you realize that you're a peer on one form or another. And we very rarely in the history of our business have used the, um, the term instructor because it actually does have, as you say, the kind of not only hierarchical, we really talk about people who have, um, are facilitating knowledge facilitating a, a experience facilitating how to do something but it's really again coming from someone's sort of self-awareness that there is the problem right As, and self-awareness yeah. that you've helped them open their eyes to something that they were not familiar with exactly and from my point of view i find that very enjoyable that you've opened people's eyes you've maybe given them some skills some angles that they perhaps weren't aware of beforehand you know people People in people value that they you know it gives them a boost. It helps their career, helps their skills development. What do you, what do you think? I mean, just to wrap up in in sort of the uh, um, what is there um, a better? I mean, what's I'm trying to think of the right way to describe this. Do you feel that there is a size company that is the most benefiting by process improvement because obviously most people would think you know it's these huge companies that got all these processes blah 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 and that's the way to improve whereas there's small companies that have a brilliant idea but they've got it you know if I were to show you my vi my visualness I can't because but you know it's like you're scratching your ear by taking your right hand you're scratching your left ear by taking your right hand and bringing it over the top of your head right you know and you all yeah that's maybe not that, but but they have a brilliant idea except for they're just not able to improve the way they think about the solution or how to improve the process. So do you think that there's, you know, the, the most um, the, the most logical candidate for process improvement in, in terms of the size of an organization or a team? 
or is it really you know universal universal problem that can be addressed in all these types of teams I have worked in organizations you know with tens of thousands of people in them and organizations with you know six people in them um, and it's always the smaller organizations which I would say you know from say half a dozen to I don't know several hundred people where I get the most satisfaction and where I believe the organization gets the most benefit mm -hmm. because in a large organization you know you're inevitably a cog in the wheel mm -hmm. and you know they've got headquarters here and branches here and outposts there and you know you're only ever going to be able to work on a small part of the organization whereas in a smaller and a medium-sized organization you're impacting the whole business you're improving you can see the improvements in profitability you can see the improvements in staff morale and staff engagement mm -hmm. you know much more tangibly and you know that's more satisfying and it also helps those organizations you know develop and evolve and continue to grow yeah. it's it's fascinating i mean i think the there's so much scope for this and you've done this you've covered this in your courses and obviously as a consultant and i really appreciate your time ross and i uh, hope to see you at the next one and actually i hope we see each other at the next one <laughs> as in <laughs> as in we're able to see each other so with that i'll i'll uh, thank you again and uh, we'll wrap up for the day and hopefully we'll do this again when the technology is cooperating okay thanks